Amen. If you would, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 14. 1 Corinthians, chapter number 14. And I promise you this message will be over before 7 o'clock. So um, don't worry about the Master Club meeting. I'm going to give Brother Jason plenty of time too. And um, this is a message that really is, um, I was working on it even today. And some of you who do your Bible reading are going to notice that in a minute because we had a really apropos um, text we were reading today in our Bible reading, if you're following along with that, that fit in very well with my message. So I put that in. I, uh, I got the title from this for reading a book. And for the young preachers in here, uh, I want to give you some encouragement. Take advantage of reading good sermon books, also good illustration books. And um, nowadays, I know a lot of these are found on the internet. You don't have to use books as much, but I'm old-fashioned, and I love just to curl up with a good book. I was reading a book by Vance Havner called Pepper and Salt. Pepper and Salt, and it was just a bunch of just little bitty thoughts, or just scattered thoughts. Um, I couldn't even figure out as I was reading them how they pertain to each other in each chapter. It didn't seem like a chapter had a theme even. But as I was reading it, he took a look at this verse, and just gave a couple of thoughts about it, and I said, I'd like to develop that into a message. It was very powerful. And the title of the message is going to be My Three Points. So if you get the title, you got the three points. It's called The Battle, The Bugle, and The Bugler. The Battle, The Bugle, and The Bugler. Now, I was mentioning the importance of um, young preachers to read sermons. You'll get ideas. A lot of preachers want to say, I'm going to be original, and I'm only going to let the Holy Ghost speak through me. And um, that's very arrogant when you say something like that, because I promise you, the Holy Ghost doesn't just speak to you. You do realize that he speaks to other preachers, and there's material there that can be a blessing to you. Don't be afraid of um, being inspired or being uh, moved by a message and trying to make some of that your own. Now, don't just go and just blatantly copy a message. I don't agree with that. But use the idea sometimes. It is a blessing to you. I heard a young preacher one time say many years ago, he said, I want to be, he says, in my ministry, I'm going to be original or nothing. And that young, minister, that young minister found out very soon that he was both. That's the danger of trying to be original. Use other people's, um, what God has told other people. Let that speak to you and let that move you in um, the development of your, your, um, your ideas, the development of your sermons. I promise you it will be a blessing to you. So let me encourage you to um, young preachers to look at messages Great godly preachers, I would encourage you to read men like Vance Havner. Uh, I would encourage you to read um, Dr. Lee Robertson, excellent. Um, there's some great men of God. Some people will tell you to immediately read Spurgeon. I don't recommend teenagers reading Spurgeon. That is a hard, hard, hard read. And so um, give it some time before you get into that. But find some people that you can read and you can relate to, and I promise you it will be a blessing to you. Now, 1 Corinthians 14.8 says this, one verse. It says, for if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? Now, when you look at this verse, I want you to notice we see, number one, at the very end of the verse, we see the battle. And then with the word trumpet, another word for trumpet, and actually what they would use in the military actually was a bugle. Now, the word bugle, I don't know if it was around back in 1611, but that's the term we would use now. So you see the bugle. And, of course, we also see the person who plays the bugle, the bugler. We're going to speak on each one of these. In the days of King Abijah of Judah, the king went to war against King Jeroboam. 
And he went there and he put his army in array at the border of Judah and Israel. And King Abijah being the king of Judah, he went up against him and made an incredible speech. Those of you who did your Bible reading today will know what I'm talking about. It was an incredible speech. It was an indictment on the wickedness of King Jeroboam. And because of the wickedness of King Jeroboam and the turning away of the people of Israel's hearts away from the true worship of God, King Abijah went to war. And he began to fight his battle and he declared to the armies of Israel the reason why he was there with his armies ready to fight. He was out one, but he was still there ready to fight. And after he had made his decree, the Bible says that upon the end of his speech, King Jeroboam sent an ambush. He had had part of his army hidden behind the lines of the king of Judah and the army of Judah. And when that happened, as soon as the speech was done, the ambush began and Judah began to be surrounded. It was a panic moment. It was a time whether the tide of war was going to be turned into one side or the other. And at that point, with superior numbers, and it looked like a superior tactic, the king of Israel, King Jeroboam, was going to destroy the army of Judah and possibly capture or kill King Abijah. And the Bible says at that point in 2 Chronicles 13, 13, the Bible says, but Jeroboam caused an ambushment to come about behind them, so they were before Judah. And the ambushment was behind, was behind, uh, behind them. When Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind, and they cried unto the Lord, and the priests sounded with the trumpets. And the men of Judah shouted, and it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. Notice that when the time of panic came, the men of God called upon the Lord. And the Bible said that the priests sounded the trumpet, alerting the army to the danger that was coming upon them. And because of the call, because of the sounding of the trumpet, because of the call upon the Lord, the children of Judah were saved that day from being totally annihilated. Now, I'll look at our world today. We have many things that are combating the church of God. We look at our churches today and we see many things going on. There's a vigorous debate right now on how much government, quote-unquote, interference should go on in the church. Should we wear masks to church? Should we distance ourselves in church? Some other states are even dealing with some things that may be even more draconian. Should we even sing in church? Not only do we see these questions coming upon us, but we also see unrest in our streets today. Groups of people, whether it be Black Lives Matter or another group or another group of people maybe even trying to cause trouble, are spreading unrest in our streets due to injustice that has gone on in the past. And that injustice is real. And I do accept that that is there. But these things garner our attention as well. Not only that, but in the year 2020, we are now in the middle of an election. Whether or not we're going to elect a new president or keep the president we have. Whether in Georgia we're going to elect new senators or keep the senators we have. There's many questions that are going on today. And because of that, the sound in the church is becoming very, very uncertain. What are we to do? What are we to focus on? What are we going to make the point of our servitude to Jesus Christ? 
Are we going to see distractions? Or are we going to focus on what God has for us? Before the message today, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer and ask his blessings upon the message, the battle, the bugle, and the bugler. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the time that we have to study your word. Let it speak to hearts. Let something that is said today help us in our understanding of the scripture and help us in our daily knowledge for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The first thing I want you to understand before we go into this message is this. Point number one, the battle. The battle. I want to look first at the nature of the battle. What is the nature of this battle? First off, our battle is not physical. Do you realize that? Many times we look at certain people, certain groups, and we, we seem to turn all of our attention and we focus all our energy on certain bad players in our society today. Yet our battle is not physical. And this is nothing new. It goes on throughout the history of the church. Now, I want you to understand when I talk about this right here, I do not believe that the Roman Catholic Church is Christian. I do not believe that they are seeking the salvation of souls. I think they are destroying people. They have destroyed Christians, and they continue to destroy souls to this day. However, 900 years ago, the Roman Catholic Church decided to start a war in the name of God. The Holy Land had been conquered by the Muslims, and the people of Europe did not like the fact that the Muslims had conquered the land where David had lived, where Jesus was born, where the Pentecost had occurred, where Jesus rose from the dead, and they decided to send their armies against the cities of Jerusalem and those Muslim-occupied territories of the Promised Land to take it for Christianity. And under the banner of the cross, they killed countless thousands of people. This is not what God intended for his church. This was never his intention for our church. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 12, we know this verse. The Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is not our battle. 2 Corinthians also follows in verse, I mean, chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Now, those are the words of Paul, but let me take you right to the source. We can even hear Jesus telling us this when he was brought before Pilate, before he was to be crucified. As Pilate questioned him, Jesus made this statement. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this, were of this world, then would my servants fight. And right there, Jesus says, we are not here to fight physical battles with different people. Our enemy is not a person, it is not a people, our enemy is something beyond the physical. I want you to understand that this battle that we are in is not a physical battle, it is a spiritual battle. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 12, the rest of the verse, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, in high places. Now this verse is not referring to the pagan governors of, and leaders of Paul's day. Paul was not referring to the emperor. He was not referring to the, the governor of the region that Ephesus was related to. Instead, it refers to Satan and his demonic forces. Whether we realize it or not, that is the enemy. And that battle has been going on 
for over 2,000 years against the church of Jesus Christ. Now, since we're going to talk about the battle, I want you to understand something first. What is the strategy of Satan? What is the strategy of Satan? If you're taking notes, I'll give it to you very simply. This is what Satan is fighting for. He is fighting and he always fights to subvert the heart and minds of mankind. He's fighting and he has always fought to subvert the hearts and minds of mankind, to turn them away from God. That is the purpose of Satan. 1 Corinthians 4.4 tells us this. It says, In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the glorious gospel, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. This is the battle that's being waged. It is for the hearts and for the minds and for the souls of this world. How does he fight? We see it in the temptation of Jesus. He tempted Jesus in three areas. Those three areas are spelled out to us in 1 John chapter number 2, verse 16. The Bible says, for all that is in the world, these are the three battlefields, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, the lust of the flesh, what does that deal with? It deals with pleasure, what this flesh desires. What does the lust of the eyes deal with? It deals with greed and what we can get. What does the pride of life deal with? Very simply put, pride and acceptance. Pride and acceptance. This is where Satan attacks us. When we look at the flush of the flesh, many times we focus on certain things and it's easy to nail the big things. For example, we hear a lot in independent Baptist churches about homosexuality and the sin of homosexuality. And is homosexuality a sin? Yes, it is. I'm looking at the congregation here and I would probably say in this room right now, could be wrong, but in this room right now, I don't think anybody is dabbling in homosexuality. Where is Satan attacking the church today? Where are the battles that are being fought concerning this in our church today? Very simply put, number one, it is the rise of pornography. Pornography is destroying the hearts and minds of believers. And it isn't just in the pulpit. It extends itself into the pews. Years and years ago, it used to be that you could go to a hotel before the internet and you could rent dirty movies in the hotel room. Everybody's probably realized that in the past if you've ever been in an old hotel room or went to a hotel room at least 20 years ago. I don't know how it is now. I'm not trying to get those movies myself. <laughs> but they used to go on in there and they used to say concerning these hotels that the biggest days for buying those dirty movies many times were days when they would have a conference of religious leaders. And those religious leaders, away from their families, away from their churches, and in the privacy of their hotel room, would begin to look into those things. It's shocking that it extends even to the, uh, to the um, pulpit. But it's affecting our churches today. And now with the internet, it's become a private thing. It's something that everybody thinks they can keep hidden. It used to be when I was a kid, if you were going to look at dirty pictures, you had to go to a gas station and you asked for somebody behind the counter to get one of those magazines that they kept covered up. 
And that's how you would get a hold of them. And some people just wouldn't do it because of the shame of having to ask for it. But today, with one click of a keyboard, one click of a mouse, you can find horrible things that are destroying the hearts and minds of God's people. Now, it may not affect you, and thank God if it does not. But also, Hollywood is trying to subvert the morality and the affections of the church as well. It's, a, um, it's an attack upon the church that many of us have not realized has taken effect. Some of us watch some things that are so terrible, if somebody came into your house and talked about the same thing and said the same lines, you would throw them out of your house. But if it's on TV, it's okay. I look at TV shows. Back in 1991, on December 20th, 1991, the TV station, the ABC network, aired an episode of a TV show called Family Matters. Anybody ever watch Family Matters? And on that episode, the main character, Stephen Urkel, got saved. He went to church with his, his friends, and when he went to the church, he heard the message of God, and he went and told one of the people on the show that as he was sitting in the pew, he asked Jesus to come into his heart. And he said, I decided to become a Christian. And on that episode, they did not mock it. They did not belittle it. In fact, somebody later on posed the question to Stephen Urkel because he was supposed to be a man of science. How could you, a man of science, believe in a God you can't see or touch or feel? And Stephen Urkel said to that person, I believe there's an atom, but I can't touch it, I can't see it, and I can't feel it. Yet I accept that there is an atom by faith. And with that same faith, even though I can't touch him, see him, or feel him, I believe that there is a God. That was on ABC almost 30 years ago. And today, if we are to see Christians portrayed on TV, what do we see? They are always portrayed as hypocrites, saying one thing and doing another, or they are always portrayed as idiots, not knowing anything. And usually the cause of the trouble on the whole episode. Hollywood is trying to turn our young people away from the truths of God's Word to accept an immoral lifestyle. They want to teach us about morality, sexual immorality, coming from the same people who can't stay married for more than a year. And two years is incredible in Hollywood. Yet these people want to talk to us about how to have a good family and what it takes to raise people in this world today. They are turning us from our, from our roots. How? By making us want to be accepted by them. Hey, all we have to do is accept and tolerate their wickedness, and they're not going to fight with us. They're going to treat us okay. When we accept, when we seek to be accepted by Hollywood, what happens is we go into liberalism and the church becomes weakened. But there's another aspect of this that Satan fights with us on, in the lust of, I mean, into the pride of life. And what that is, is this. Seeking to be accepted by religious leaders, or, or idolizing certain men of God, or certain singers in the church. I'm very familiar with this, going to Tennessee Temple. Now, Tennessee Temple wasn't the bastion of conservatism or fundamentalism when I went there back in 95 through 99. 
And I'd go in there and people would have on their walls pictures of Christian rock groups and contemporary singers and different things like that, music we would not allow in our church. And there were certain groups that everybody knew about. There was a group back in the 90s when I was going to Tennessee Temple that got really big called Cademan's Call. They came out with a song called Thankful, which became the anthem of the Calvinist movement for a time. People idolized them. They put their pictures on the wall. A few years ago, the lead singer of Cageman Call came out and said, I'm an atheist, and I do not believe in God at all. People who were following him became discouraged. He said, I want to tell all my fans that you do not have to believe in Jesus Christ. I do not believe there, that there is a God. There may be a God, but I don't think there is one, is what he told his fans to listen to. He said, I felt like I needed to let you know and give you that message. Not only in the singers, but there are other groups as well. A man wrote a book when I was at Tennessee Temple called I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and it was huge. Back when I was at Tennessee Temple, you were either carrying a Bible or you were carrying a copy of that book to let you know you were spiritual. And usually it was the girls. They wanted to get into this courtship relationship. Anybody remember that book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye? It was a big book. Did you realize that the person who wrote it about three years ago also came out that he was an atheist, that he never believed in God, and he said, I want those people who've listened to me in the past to know that everything I told you was a lie. We see it in the people that we idolize in the contemporary Christian movement and the writers, but many times in independent Baptist churches, we don't have to look at the Jimmy Swaggers. We don't have to look at the other leaders we see on TV. Some of them even that have preached from this pulpit have fallen and turned away from the truth of God's word. We don't follow people, and we don't idolize people. I will tell you not to idolize me by a long shot, and I would tell you not to idolize Brother Wayne or Brother Jason. We need to put our focus on Jesus Christ. Satan is using this as a way of turning people's hearts and minds from the truth of God's word. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, greed. In the United States today, people are being turned away from churches because of one thing, money. And it's not because they want money, it's because they don't have money. Why? Because they're buying things they don't need to impress people they don't even like. We've been fed a lie in America about the American dream. If you really want to be a success in America, you need the big house with the white picket fence, the big screen TV in the house, and we need two cars. Even though you only need one, we got to have two cars in our parking lot and maybe a boat to go right around in. And people buy the big house, they buy the fancy cars, they buy the fancy boats, they buy the big screen TVs that they don't have money for, and they all put it on their credit card, and they find themselves working two or three jobs in order to keep everything afloat. And they sometimes have to miss church because of it. Or even in ways you don't even realize. Maybe some of you can relate to this, and I'm not judging you in any way, but some of you are unable to give your offerings to the Lord and your tithe, which belongs to the Lord, because all that money is going to American Express, all that money is going to Visa, and all that money is going to MasterCard. Can I point out, it's called MasterCard. Why is it called MasterCard? Because it's the master and you're the slave. And that's what the purpose of that card is to do. We don't need to fall for the lies of Satan. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, 
These are Satan's strategies. This is Satan's attack to turn the people from their hearts from God and put their affection on the world. We've seen the strategy of Satan. Now, let's look at the strategy of God. The strategy of God. If you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to note is this. Two points. Number one, God's strategy for His people is, number one, obedience among His servants. Obedience among His servants. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity everything to the what? What does the Bible say? Obedience of Christ. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. What does God say here? Who's going to win the victory? Is it going to be me? Who's going to win it? God. Who fights for us? God. Who's able to defeat Satan? Not man, God. What God wants us to do, first of all, is obey him. After all, what good army do you have if the soldiers don't obey the commands? What effective army do you have? It's not very popular to talk about anymore, the Civil War. Not only on the south, but also in the north, it seems like everybody's wanting just to pull down every person that ever fought in the Civil War, and that's a sad thing. There's some lessons to be learned from the Civil War. One of those is a lesson of obedience. At the Battle of Gettysburg, before Pickett's charge, Robert E. Lee went to his General Longstreet and told Longstreet, when Pickett makes his charge across the field, what I want you to do is I want you to send in your cavalry to support him. And Longstreet thought it was a dumb idea. He didn't think it would work, and he did not like the fact that Robert E. Lee was sending his cavalry to go fight something that he felt was a big mistake. So do you know what Longstreet did? He waited. He saw Pickett's men begin to walk out across that battlefield at the very last day of Gettysburg. He saw those men go up to the line of the Union Army, and he saw them get slaughtered. And at the point when he realized that those men were going to be killed, he finally decided to send his cavalry. But it was too late. The army that Pickett had was crushed, and the cause of the Battle of Gettysburg was lost for the South. Lee had to retreat, go back into the South, and for the rest of the war, he fought a defensive battle. In other words, the war was over. It was just a matter of time before it was going to end. And it was all because one person decided not to obey a command. How many of us are working against the cause of Jesus Christ because God tells us to do something and we choose not to do it. The first thing that God requires for us is obedience. And the second thing, and this is highly valuable, the second thing is this, separation to God. Notice I'm not talking about separation from the world because if you separate yourself to God, you will become separated from the world. Separation to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 says this, powerful passage. O ye Corinthians, you, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. 
Ye are straight, and ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. I want you to understand what that phrase means. It's kind of confusing. Paul said right there that I've opened my heart to you. I love you dearly. My affection is being showered upon you, yet instead of opening your heart and enlarging your heart to us, you have restricted your affection back to us. You are offended by us. You don't want to hear what we have to say. There is a barrier between us. Paul says, I am opening my heart to you, but you are closing your heart to me. He said, now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Listen to what Paul says. Many times we take those verses out of context. But do you see what happened to the Corinthian church? Because they had um, aligned themselves with the world, they had partnered with the wickedness of this world. They were going along with the world to get along with the world. They were practicing toleration instead of truth. And what happened? As they became partners with the world, as they fellowshiped with the world, as they communed with the world, they began to lose their affection for God's people, God's servants, God's message, and God himself. There is no middle ground in our walk with Jesus Christ. Paul said because you have partnered with the world, because you have built a relationship with the world, because you had become friends with the world system and with their wickedness, you lost your love for me. Paul wasn't the only one who said that. Jesus said in the Gospels, no man can serve two masters. Why? For he will love one and hate the other. Or he will leave one and he'll cleave to another. No man can serve God and mammon. We have a choice here. We can separate ourselves to God. And once we separate ourselves to God, God will fulfill his desire for us to be close to him that we might be receptive to spiritual instruction and direction. Many times the reason why we're offended with the preacher's message, and I'm not talking about myself, y'all are so kind to me. Many times when we're offended by what Brother Jason may preach or what Brother Wayne may preach or what an evangelist may preach, it's not because they're saying something wrong. It's because we have gotten too close to the world and our affection for the things of God have died, have died in us. Why, some of us, we go to church with the attitude, as long as it's an hour, I'm going to be happy. But if Brother Wayne, I mean it, if Brother Wayne, I swear, if he preaches an hour and 15 minutes and we don't get out before 12, 15, me and him are going to have a problem. 
We come to church to get out. We have no affection for the things of God. It becomes a duty to us. And why is that? Because we have decided to partner with the world. We've decided to build relationships and fellowship and communion with the world. And as we've communed with the world, we begin to pull away from God. Understand this. God's desire for us in order to be effective in the battle is this. So that Satan does not pull us away from our relationship with him is to obey his word and to separate ourselves to him. That builds our heart of love toward one another. Now, I've spent most of the time on the battle because it's very important. The last two points are going to go like that, so get ready for it. Point number two, we've seen the battle, now let's see the bugle. We've seen the battle, now let's see the bugle. The bugle, simply put, is the message. That's the message that God wants to get across to his people. What is the message? The message, number one, is not our opinions. The message is not our opinions. Everybody has different opinions in this church. Hey, I know right now, there are different opinions amongst Whitfield Baptist Church about whether or not we should wear a mask to church or not. I could care less what your opinion is. And I hope you don't care what my opinion is. It's not important in the scheme of things. Yet how many times do we feel when we have to talk to other people, even lost people in the world, if we talk about our church, how many times when we talk about our church are we talking about Jesus and how good Jesus is, or how many times do we find ourselves complaining about whether or not we should wear masks or not? Not about The message is not our opinion. Or how many times when we want to talk about God, somehow we get into a discussion on whether or not Donald Trump should be reelected. Oh, man, if the Democrats win, this country's going to fall apart. You know how many times I've heard that? Brother Wayne, I'm only 42 years old. I'm not ancient, even though some young people back there probably think I am. I really am not ancient. But I heard the same thing when Michael Dukakis was running for president. If we don't elect George W., I mean H.W. Bush, Michael Dukakis is going to just destroy this country. And then I heard it for Bill Clinton. I mean, you know the one that he smoked but he didn't inhale? You remember back in those days? If we let someone like that, that dopehead Bill Clinton, run for, I mean, actually become president, this country's going to fall off the cliff. Did it fall off the cliff? Heard the same thing about George W. Bush. We better elect Al Gore. That George W. Bush, he's crazy. It was fine. Hey, I heard it real big. We can't elect Obama. He's the worst president we'll ever have. Somehow we survived. They said, we better elect that Mormon Mitt Romney because if we don't elect that Mormon, we get Obama again, this country's really going to die. The country's supposed to fall apart for Donald Trump, and it didn't. And I promise you this, you're going to have a job somewhere, and you're going to have a house, and you're going to be able to drive a car, and you'll be able to attend this church, whether Donald Trump or Joe Biden get elected. So why are we spending so much time talking about that and not talking about Jesus Christ? We've lost the message. The message is not our opinion. What is the message? Very quickly, 1 Corinthians 2.13 says this concerning opinions, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, opinions, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing 
spiritual things with spiritual. What is the message? I think we all know it. It is God's Word. The Bible says in Acts 13, 26, Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. The message is God's word, and it is being sent to you. It's the message of salvation. The Bible says, 1 Peter 1.23, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Understand this, we are not to be just giving out our opinion. Brother Wayne spoke to my heart just a few Wednesdays ago when he made this statement. In a long conversation you have with someone who is unchurched, does the subject of Jesus Christ ever arise? And if it does not, you have a bad relationship with God. That spoke to me. How many times am I talking about other things? COVID-19, Black Lives Matter, Joe Biden, Donald Trump. I'll talk about all them. Yet Jesus Christ never shows up in the conversation. What's going on with us? We need to sound the trumpet. We need to raise the alarm. And it doesn't need to be uncertain. It needs to be laser-focused on Jesus Christ. We've seen the battle. We've seen the bugle. Let's see the bugler. The bugler is the messenger. The bugler is the messenger. I think this makes sense. Do you realize that the world is not the messenger? We need to quit thinking that somehow our government or our schools or our social um, groups outside this church are going to spread the message of Jesus Christ. It's not going to happen. If Donald Trump becomes president again, he's reelected, we're still going to have problems. And this government is not going to push Jesus Christ. They are not the messenger. Number two, with all their power, in this instance, angels are not the messenger of God concerning the gospel. Who is the messenger of God? It's us. We are the messenger of God. Let me give you one more verse, and then we're going to close. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Who is ye? I think it was Scott Pauley years and years ago had a message. Ye means we. It's us. It's not the responsibility of Brother Wayne alone. It's not the responsibility of Brother Jason by himself. It's not the responsibility of only the deacon board or only our Sunday school teacher or only the missionaries or only the evangelists. It's the responsibility of each and every one of us to tell others about Jesus Christ. Understand, each one of us has a circle of influence. And what is our circle of influence? It's our friends, our neighbors, our workmates, and our associates, our family. That's our circle of friends. And amongst those four people, each and every one of us can meet and spread the gospel message to people that Brother Wayne will never meet, that Brother Jason will never meet, that Brother Kevin, Brother Mark, Brother Jeremy Hall will never meet. 
Each and every one of us has been put in a position to share the gospel message with someone who needs to hear it. We need to sound the trumpet. But Satan, again, is doing everything he can to stop us from doing that. He wants to turn your heart away from Jesus Christ. What will entice you? Do you want to be accepted by the world? Do you want your, your ego to be tickled? He will do that if it will keep you from following Jesus Christ. Hey, is pleasure important to you? Is sports important to you? Is just having fun the most important thing in this world to you? Then the devil will give you all of it that you want to keep you from doing anything for Jesus Christ. Or is it things? Is the most important thing to you to be rich? Hey, rich can be a blessing many times, but it can also be a curse. Sometimes it's better for you not to be rich. I heard one person say concerning riches, riches is a revealer of who you really are. I can give you an example of that. How many of y'all remember the greatest golfer that ever lived? I think he's still alive, Tiger Woods. Is he still alive? Tiger Woods, I don't watch golf. Tiger Woods. He was the symbol of control. It was incredible how he could be just laser focused on making shots. I mean, they never veered off for a time. He was winning every major. He was winning every tournament. It was incredible. And he was the greatest golfer we've ever seen. And then he got rich. Do you realize that Tiger Woods was the very first athlete to earn, through his sporting work, $1 billion? He made a billion dollars playing golf. Can you believe that? And what happened to Tiger Woods? when he got all that money. What he was on the inside came out. And he got in trouble with women. Hey, his golf game fell, his family fell, and everything that people thought about him was destroyed. His reputation was ruined. Why? Because money revealed what he is. Don't go after money. Don't make that the goal in your life. It's good to have money. But if you make that your purpose in life, you're going to fail. The devil will give you the money you need to turn you away from God. Don't sacrifice the relationship you have with God for that. Let's all stand. Brother Wayne's coming to conduct the invitation. Brother Randy is coming. It's not 7 o'clock. I'm ending the message before that. I just want to ask you one question as we stand and get ready for the invitation. Are you where you need to be with God? God's fighting the battle God's going to win. Whether you do it or not, God's going to win the battle. The battle's already won. My question to you is, do you want to be in the victory crowd? Are you obeying him? Are you separated to him? Or are you sacrificing every day your relationship with God to be accepted by the world, to get the pleasure of this world, or to get what this world can offer you for a short time? Don't sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. Let us follow and obey our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Brother Wayne. All right, let's uh, come to the altar if you need to come pray about this message. Pray right where you're sitting or standing. And what a good message. Amen. We're in a battle, and the devil is a master deceiver to try to get us to fight the wrong battle. Amen. He's also a distractor, and he is a divider. And we ought to pray that our church is not divided, but is united battle against Satan. Amen. And so maybe you need to pray for a brother or sister that's fallen. Maybe you need to pray for yourself to be faithful in the battle.
and be loyal to the commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing a couple of verses, brother. 